0: Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, Praise Team. What a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning, and what a delight it is to worship together. It is always good to worship the Lord, and certainly our hearts should resound in praise to the Lord in all times, and what a wonderful song. And I know Tim doesn't even know this, but that song is very precious to our family. That's actually the song that Sam listens to right before he goes to bed every single night. So we, uh, we are so thankful for that, and uh, it has been a great honor. Meeting with you over the past couple of days, it has been a great honor for me, for my entire family. On behalf of my entire family, I want to say thank you. I want to say a special thanks to the search team. Uh, they have done a wonderful job, they have represented you well. Uh, they have asked plenty of questions, and uh, many of them in many ways. And we have gone through and talked at length about near about everything, I think, and uh, have enjoyed walking together in that. And so thankful for Jesus. So thankful for who He is, so thankful for how He works, so thankful for how He leads and guides. And I want to invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word, and you can turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. And what I want us to do together here this morning is to marvel at Jesus, to be amazed at Him, because really that's, that's the best place to begin, is in marveling at Jesus, As we come into this passage of Scripture, and as you're opening your Bible, you're familiar with many of the stories that surround it, right? By the time you come to this point in Scripture, Jesus has died on the cross for our sin. He has endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, and He has proclaimed, it is finished. He died. He was buried. But praise the Lord, three days later, He rose from the grave. He lives And as we come to this passage, what we have already seen even in the resurrection narratives, if you were reading along in the Gospel of Luke, you would have read of the women at the tomb and you would have known about the stone being rolled away and and interactions with angels and discussions about, you know, maybe these things are just an idle tale. And you would have known about Peter and John running and and you would know about the the running of the, the guys on the road to Emmaus. What a wonderful interaction that was, even the ways in which you can think of John in the Gospel of John and thinking about how Jesus has that special time with Mary Magdalene and just calls her by name. What a gift that was. And so as we come into this passage of Scripture, read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36, and I'm going to read down through verse 49. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, until the, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let us pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, you're good. God, you are at work in our midst and in our hearts right now, and Father, in the In the midst of all the things that we are thinking about in this moment, Lord, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus. May the songs that we have sung just a moment ago resound in our hearts that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. Father, as we come before you now in prayer and we have many needs and concerns that we lay before you now, Father, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And Lord, as we come into your word today, Lord, by your spirit and for your glory, Father, may we come away amazed, marveling at Jesus because he lives. And Father, may you work in such a way in our hearts and lives this morning that we will never be the same. Lord, we thank you for how you are at work, for that you are at work. And Lord, we look forward to seeing what you are going to do. And Lord, we ask all of this in the mighty name of our crucified and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we start in verse 36, is it, we just dive right in there. And he says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And it's interesting, you know, they're having these conversations. They're talking about all the resurrection things that have already happened. Right, they're hearing all these stories, and they're talking about the things that happened on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about the things that they thought may be an idle tale, and there's all sorts of chatter, because in excitement incites chatter. We get excited about things, and we just like to talk about them, and it just comes out naturally. And it's interesting, because while they're doing this, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. What a wonderful declaration that is, isn't it? That peace with God against whom we have sinned has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Because it is finished, we can be at peace with God through faith in Jesus. What an amazing gift that he has given us and what an amazing declaration that only he could make because only he could do and he did in reconciling sinners to himself. What a wonderful gift we have here. But think about it from the disciples' perspective for a moment. They hear Jesus come in and say, peace to you. That's a familiar voice, isn't it? That's the voice that they would have heard Call to the little girl, Talithakumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. That's the same voice that they would have heard call out in John chapter 11 to say, Lazarus, come forth. These resurrection words would have stirred in their hearts and minds. And for us too, even as we read this, though we may not hear the sound of his voice, we too know that it is familiar of the way in which he has worked peace in our lives in some of the hardest times that we have walked through. The way in which we have understood peace with God and the reconciled relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. The way in which he has walked into the storms of our lives and simply declared peace to you. But the interruption is very startling and very frightening for the disciples then. It says they were startled. Verse 37 says they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, I know you may not want to admit it, but I know we've all had the circumstance where you're in the midst of a conversation and you're talking about someone and then that person suddenly appears, right? I'm not saying it was you, but I am saying it happens. This is exactly what's happening with the disciples. They're having a conversation about Jesus and then all of the sudden, there he is, right in front of them. And they're responding in a way that they had responded before. They say, it's got to be a spirit. They did this in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus was walking on the water. It's too good to be true. There's no way this could be him. It's got to be a ghost. It's got to be something. They're excited, but they're unnerved at the moment. And I wonder if that sort of emotional mix sometimes meets us right where we are. We get really excited, but a lot of times we're very unnerved. We get excited about the advance of the gospel, and then some of the ways in which that unfolds in front of us can somewhat unnerve us. And we find ourselves in a very relatable position with the earliest disciples. And this is a good place to begin, marveling at Jesus with just the wonderful reality that our Savior lives. Because in verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He says, why are you troubled? Why are you, why are you bothered about this? What about the resurrection of Christ is, is troubling to you? And a lot of times we find ourselves in those circumstances where we don't know what to say and we honestly don't even know how to respond. Maybe you snicker in a weird way in those sort of awkward moments. You don't know what to say. There's a sense of trouble in your hearts. Here he says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? And look at how good Jesus is here. Walking into the lives of his disciples. And he's not castigating them. But he is reminding me, I'm here to overcome your doubts. I'm here to overcome the reality that you are overwhelmed with the situation. Because we are not sufficient in ourselves, but Jesus is sufficient in himself. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And what we are being shown here is that marveling at Jesus must precede the mission of Jesus. We must marvel and be amazed and be reminded of how glorious and wonderful and mighty and victorious he actually is. And that his power, his resurrection power at work in our lives must be what overcomes every sense of weakness and frailty that we have. Because the best days are not past. We must not ever think that. Society is not too far gone for the power of the risen Lord. It is a big task, but it is not too big a task for our great Savior who defeated death and hell all by himself. This is our Jesus Marvel at the risen Christ. Jesus is not intimidated by or put off by our fears and our weaknesses. Jesus overcomes. And every single person here who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are a living testimony to that. Amen. What a gift we've been given in Christ. That he has given us himself. And look at how he does Look at how kind he is. He says, see, my hands and my feet is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. These hands, these hands of the carpenter's son. These hands that they saw reach down and touch the leper. These hands that cast tables over. And these hands that calm seas. And these hands that gathered little children to himself these feet that traveled here and there and everywhere that were everywhere from the rural backwater places to the big cities and the big towns and all the colonnades of every place that he could he could go the tears at which repentant believers cried out in faith lepers fell to give thanks demoniacs who were healed sat tears that were feet that were wiped with tears see these hands and feet we know Because though we may not have seen them physically, we know Jesus said in John chapter 20 verse 29 that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And though we may not have seen his hands in our lives, we've seen his fingerprints everywhere. He's all over our lives, and we have lived that, and we have walked through that, and we've seen how he has guided us with such gentle care and such compassion and such love. And we've known those times where maybe we couldn't see his feet, but we could hear his steps behind us as the good shepherd was walking with us and comforting us and caring for for us in all the difficulty and all the hardships of life. Don't forget, he's not done yet. That we can remember all the realities of the the wonders of what he has done, not simply to rejoice in that. And we should rejoice in that and marvel at how far he's brought us. But he's not done yet. He's still at work. He's still leading. He's still guiding. Don't forget how far he brought us. But remember to to marvel at the risen Christ right now. Look at the response here. He says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. What an interesting phrase, isn't it? They disbelieved for joy. It was so absolutely unbelievable, but they were so overcome with excitement. I know a lot of us were sitting around watching a football game last night, sitting there in the fourth quarter and disbelieve for joy when that touchdown finally happened. <laughs> Wiping the sweat off of our brow and saying, I can go to bed now. <laughs> disbelief for joy. Maybe you've had that circumstance where you, you, know, you finally make it to the restaurant where somebody said, you know, it's the best thing you, you're ever going to have and all these sorts of things. You finally get there and you finally sit down and you close your eyes and you take the bite and you're like, Oh man, I can't believe this. Are we like that with Jesus, though? Do we marvel at Him like that? Do we have that sort of gladness and excitement and enjoyment that the resurrected reality of Jesus is true and it's real, that there really is forgiveness and everlasting life and peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that there really is joy alive and at work in our hearts and the assurance of his love and his grace in the midst of every circumstance that we face. That our sin is atoned for, that Jesus is victorious, that forgiveness is real and lasting and forever. It says, and while they disbelieve for joy and were marveling. It's where the unbelievable meets reality. Where all of a sudden it's like, this is is too good to be true, but it's true. It's amazing, and when you marvel at something, you get interested in it, and you want to know more, don't you? That's why, that's why people drive up into the mountains this time of year, right? Because it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful, but you want to get a little bit closer, that's one of the great things about weddings, right? You, maybe you remember your own wedding, and I can remember standing at the front of the church and you know, think, knowing good and well that I didn't deserve to be the one who was standing up there, but thanking the Lord that I was, and I remember watching the doors in the back open up and just being amazed. And looking forward to all the years that were laid out in front of us. Maybe you've had that moment whenever you've, you held your children for the first time or held your grandchildren for the first time marveling, amazed. Are oh, we like that with Jesus? Even more, do we think like that when we think of John three sixteen? We think of God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That he gave his life and he rose again and that sin, death, and hell is defeated because he lives and he loves. And in the midst of marveling at this, I love this about Jesus. In the midst of seeing their astonishment and seeing their marveling, he looks at them and asks the question that we're so glad he asked, right? Have you anything to eat? And I I know some of y'all are sitting in here and you're about to lean over and ask the person sitting next to you the very same question, right? I don't know how long this guy's going to go for. Have you anything to eat? Is there anything down there in that purse of yours that I can munch on for a little while? Why would he ask this? Why would he do this? What's well, interesting because when you think about somebody who's alive, you think about checking vital signs, right? You look for a pulse, make sure they're breathing. But a telltale sign of somebody who's alive is they have an appetite. They want to eat something. And so here's Jesus speaking to them. He's not asking, "Hey, check my pulse." He's basically already done that. He's not saying, hey, take a look and see if I'm breathing. He knows good and well they've already done that too. He says, have you got anything to eat? Simple evidence of life. For those disciples sitting there, they would look at him and they would be like, we've seen this before. Can you imagine how many meals they shared with Jesus? All the mannerisms that they would have seen the ways in which he would eat because I know you don't believe this, but we all have mannerisms when we eat, right? We all have certain ways that you put it into your mouth and chew it up and be like, that's really him. I recognize this. It really is Jesus. Ghosts don't eat. Spirits don't do this. This is amazing. and each bite, reality sinks in a little further. Our Savior lives and it stirs our excitement and our amazement. And then it's like preparing our hearts to live for him. Because as you marvel at him, you're ready to do whatever he wants. And that's exactly what he calls us to do. But he's not done yet, is he? Because the very next thing that he says in verse 44, he says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And that when you're marveling, there's... There's always more to know than you already know. And at first you take an interest and you scratch around a little bit. And you're like, oh, this is interesting. And you start to enjoy it and you want to know a little bit more. And, and so as you grow a little further, further along, it's like, oh, this just gets more and more interesting. And here's Jesus telling them, look, I told you this before while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And what Jesus has done here is he has basically said, everything in the Old Testament is about me. He's actually used the three different uh, ways in which the Hebrew text of the Old Testament was broken down. It was broken down in the law. It was broken down with the prophets, but not the prophets simply in the way that we think about them. In the Hebrew Bible, you look at the former prophets, which would include things like Joshua and Judges. And then I would lead into the writings, which is summarized by the Psalms. Because Psalms is the largest portion of the writings. And so what Jesus has just done here is he's looked at his disciples and said, everything in the Bible is about me. From Genesis to Malachi, all of it points to Jesus. There's so much to know. He says, Every, these are my words that I spoke to you while I'm still, I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And we read this and we're like, okay, that's good. Like what? I'm so glad you asked. Well, Jesus is the agent of all creation from Genesis chapter 1. He's the one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis chapter 3. He's the promised seed of Genesis chapter 12. He's the priest in the line of Melchizedek of Genesis 14. He's the one who comes in the line of Judah of Genesis chapter 38. And he is the king promised in Genesis chapter 49. He is the fulfillment of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. He's the fulfillment of the manna in Exodus chapter 16. He's the rock in the wilderness of Exodus chapter 17. He's the only one who's ever actually kept the law of Exodus chapter 20. And he's the fulfillment of the picture of every piece of the tabernacle in Exodus chapters 25 through 28. He is the one who fulfills every notion and every portion of the atoning sacrifices described in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6. He's the fulfillment of the day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. He's the Successor of Moses in Numbers 27. He is the prophet in the, that is greater than Moses, that Moses tells everybody to look forward to in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and he's the one who's cursed because he hanged on a tree from Deuteronomy chapter 21. You think of the prophets, and you think of the former prophets. You think he's the mighty warrior of Joshua chapter 1, or the righteous judge that never happened in the book of Judges. He's the righteous king of 1 Samuel 8, or the eternal king of 2 Samuel 7. He's the king with the hearts that's greater than Solomon in 1 Kings, and the holy king with the hearts of the people that never happened in the book of 2 Kings. He's the shepherd of 1 Chronicles 11. He's the temple fulfillment in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. He's the Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7. He's the light to the nations in Isaiah chapter 9. He's wonderful Counselor, everlasting God, everlasting Father, prince of peace of Isaiah chapter 9. He's the branch of Isaiah chapter 11, the defeater of death of Isaiah chapter 25, the chosen servant of Isaiah chapter 42, the savior of Isaiah 43, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the branch of Jeremiah 23, the new covenant bringer of Jeremiah 31. He's the one on the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1. He's the shepherd of God's sheep in Ezekiel chapter 34, and he is the life in the valley of dry bones there in Ezekiel chapter 37. The hope of Hosea, the sender of the spirit of of Joel chapter 2, the restorer of Amos, the coming one of Obadiah, the fulfillment of J- Jonah chapter 2, the ruler from Bethlehem of Micah chapter 5, the avenger of Nahum, the joy and strength of Habakkuk 3, the servant in the branch of Zechariah 3, the pierced one of Zechariah 12, the cleansing fountain of Zechariah chapter 13, and the son of righteousness that rises with healing in his wings from, Z- from Malachi chapter 4. You think of the Psalms and the anointed one of Psalm chapter 2, the forsaken one of Psalm 22, the shepherd of Psalm 23, the king of glory of Psalm 24, the light from Psalm 27, the zealous one of Psalm 69, the word made flesh of Psalm 119, the agent of all creation, knitting together all of us in our mother's womb of Psalm 139, the all wise one of Proverbs, the one to follow and the preacher of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the fulfillment of and final display of love displayed in the song of Solomon. He is the fulfillment of the steadfast love that endures forever and the mercy that's unending, and the faithfulness that reaches to the skies of Laman Lamentations chapter 3, the redeemer of Ruth 4, the untraceable hand of Esther, the fourth man in the furnace of Daniel chapter 3, the son of man of Daniel chapter 7, the hope of exile of the book of Ezra, and the great and awesome God of the book of Nehemiah. We have an amazing Savior, do we not? Marvel. He is stirring us to marvel at him. There's so much to know, and that only scratches the surface. Of how glorious and great and amazing and mighty our Jesus actually is. That we would marvel at Him. That we would know Him and enjoy Him. And the more we know, the closer we want to get. And the closer we want to get, the more we want to make Him known. Because it just gets more and more exciting as you go. What an amazing Savior we have. And then it says, look at how kind He is in verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He teaches us he says let me show you let me and so every time you can think every time this every time you open god's word for yourself and you're sitting in the in the corner of your living room or you're sitting in the hospital room and you're looking for some some word of comfort in the midst of all of that the spirit of the living christ teaches us every single time and here it is again and we have all these finally see moments Things where you at first you're looking at it and you're like, I don't get it. I don't see it. And then all of a sudden it's there. That's how we felt every time. The the first time you saw that sonogram picture, right? You're looking at it and you're like, I don't see it. (laughs) Like I want to pretend like I see it, but I don't see it. And you look a little longer and finally, you know, your sweet wife comes up to you and be like, here's the face, right? Like, Oh. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you see, and it's amazing. That's how it is when we open our Bibles. Jesus, with his gentle, shepherdly hand, guiding us then, opening our eyes to see. To see who we need. To give us understanding that we would enjoy knowing him and have great expectations of all the things that he's going to teach us. That the Spirit of Christ is still doing this right now. Are we amazed at Him? Are we marveling at Him? Astounded that He would love us to the extent that He did and save us and redeem us and then work so deeply in our lives. And that the more you marvel at Him, the more you know Him, the more you want to follow Him and make Him known. Because marveling precedes mission, But marveling also fuels mission. The more amazed we are at Jesus, the better we're going to be at fulfilling what He has called us to do. The more we stir one another up in amazement at Jesus, the better we're going to be when we walk out these doors and we go share Christ with the community that's around us. He goes on to say in verse 46, He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He says, Thus it is written, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the one who fulfills all three anointed roles. From the Old Testament, he is the final prophet. He's the full and final revelation of the truth. He is the promised king, and he is our high priest in the line of Melchizedek. Here he is, the Christ. He says, it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And you can find this in various places. You know, you can read back in the Old Testament. You can talk about Psalm 16 or Psalm 49 or Job 19 or Hosea 6. He says, these things are written. And we read this and we're like, okay, it's helpful to have things written down, isn't it? Why do you write things down? Because we forget, don't we? Because if you've ever had the experience where you sent your husband to the grocery store without a list, he comes back with one thing that was on your list and three things that you've never even heard of. Right? Every single time. And you're like, why did you buy this? It's like, I thought it was a good idea. (laughs) Now we need to be reminded. We need to have things written down that we would remember and know that we could review. The Messiah, our only hope of salvation, is that the eternal Son of God died in our place and rose from the dead. And yet He has accomplished that. And that he has accomplished that and that he suffered. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And that we go out redeemed in that reality to go share that message with the world that is around us. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Turning away from your sin, turning away from yourself, and turning to Jesus. It's not just turning away from sin. It's turning to Christ believing in him that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead and that in so doing you have forgiveness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can go down the list of the, uh, Exodus chapter 20 and talk about all the ways in which we have vital, violated the law and we will realize right quickly just in what a bad state we are all by ourselves. But Jesus did not leave us all by ourselves, did he? He came to save us. He came and he lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, fulfilled the law in every command, never sinned once, went to the cross and died there for our sin and rose from the dead that all who repent and believe have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. So that no matter what your backstory is, no matter where you came from or what the circumstances may, may be, whatever culture, whatever reality you have walked out of, you can hear the words of Of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness of sin. Proclaimed to all nations. Which if you want to get specific from the, the Greek text here, the word for nations here is actually the word peoples. We're not talking about geographic lines on a map. We're talking about cultural groups of people. To whom, amongst whom, are we to proclaim this? Well, he says, to all peoples. To every tribe, nation, color, heritage, background. From where we sit, to every nook and cranny of Lilburn, and everywhere around us. All peoples. Wherever you find them. You may find them at your dinner table. You may find them across the street. You may find them speaking a different language. You may find them looking nothing like you. It doesn't matter. We're called to make him known. And the more amazed we are at him, the more delighted we are to say, Hey, look, I don't know all of your story, but I do know this. The Jesus who saved me is more than capable of saving you, of bringing you forgiveness and everlasting life. And he says, Well, where are we supposed to start this mission of proclaiming all of this in the name of Jesus? He says, Beginning from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem for these disciples was not their hometown, Jerusalem was where they were. Most of these disciples were from Galilee. He says, Start in Jerusalem because that's where you are right now. So, cross cultures and go cross, a lang- go cross language barriers and go cross the street from where we sit. We sit right now atop a field wide unto harvest. Are we marveling at Jesus enough to be delighted to go make him known? Are we amazed enough at the glory of the one who saved us and sustains us to go find somebody and say, I got good news for you. He says, start from where you are. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. Every single disciple, start right where you are. Start in your home and start in your family and start at work and go to the gas station, go to the grocery store, and everything is an an opportunity. Everything is a mission trip. That life itself, we should think of it, is a short-term mission trip. On average, it's... It's stated that even somebody who tries to avoid people, on average, you're going to have 12 human interactions a day. That's 12 opportunities. Sharing Christ and making Him known. And the more we marvel at Him, the more delighted we will be to make Him known. Because that excitement incites boldness. So he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, we talk about this. We talk about, you know, proclaiming the name of Christ and proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ to all peoples. And we rejoice in it while we're in here. And then we walk out the door we think this is too big of a task. This is a lot. You get halfway into starting a conversation, you think, I just can't do it. Are we left unequipped for the task? We are not. It's so big a task, but we have so mighty a God. Much like Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, in Jesus' declaration that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. He says, I'm sending the promise of my Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, his presence with us to carry on the mission. And that all we need, we have in Him. There is not a resource issue for a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have everything that we need. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are filled by the Holy Spirit at that moment, and you have more than enough to go and tell somebody else about Jesus. That is what He has done for us. And see, what the disciples here had to wait for, we don't. Pentecost has already happened. We get to run out and marvel and in the mission we get to marvel at him all the more as lives are transformed by redeeming grace and make him known and realize, Lord, I am not sufficient for this, but I know that your grace is sufficient for your power is made perfect in my weakness. So we go admitting our weaknesses, ready to run out into the mission field, ready to run out into our homes and our neighborhoods, amongst our friends and loved ones, and even find some of those who are our enemies and say, I got good news for you. Jesus Lives. Jesus saves. Let's marvel at the risen Christ and live to make him known. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never known him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. More important than any vote that's going to take place today is getting your life right with Jesus. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all worshipped things we're not supposed to worship. We've acted unfaithfully at times, every single one of us. Said things that aren't true, coveted after things. We stand guilty before a righteous and a holy God. We stand under the weight of there is none righteous, no, not one. But we have such a good God that we don't, our salvation is not dependent upon our righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. That Jesus, in love, came in the flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died on the cross for our sin, and rose from the dead. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against the sin of all who would repent and believe and here he is calling you to himself today and that you would just cry out marveling at him that God would so love you and call you out even today in this moment that you would marvel at him and know him and worship him and you can cry out in the moment. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner and you can go home from this place justified. Made right with the righteous and the holy God. Get that right here today. And for every one of us in here who is a believer, let's get ready. Let's marvel at Jesus. Let's find every reason we can to be amazed by him. Let that be reflected in the way in which we, we sing, in the way in which we pray, in the way in which we study his word. Let that be reflected in the way in which we interact with one another, and the way in which we interact with our community. We walk out as lights Lights of people to be amazed by Jesus. That the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light has sent us out to proclaim that very message to all peoples. So let's marvel at Jesus. and Let's make him known. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, you are good. God, we thank you for how you teach us. How you stir our excitement. For Jesus. And Father we pray that there wouldn't be anything. That there would not be anything in this room. That would hinder somebody from coming to you. Lord that in this moment right now. That you would break down every barrier. That you would break down every wall. Father for the person who is listening right now. Who has never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation, where they finally cry out to you, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Father, that they would know your forgiveness and everlasting life in this moment right now. Father, for all of us in here, stir our hearts anew and afresh to marvel at Jesus in all things.